Welcome to the Sea Press Podcast, a podcast from the Presbytery of Seattle that invites you into conversations about issues and topics that are meaningful to the church and its people. Hi, this is Scott Lumsden, co-executive presbyter of Seattle Presbytery, uh, along with Tally Hairston and Eliana Maxim. And we are here on this uh, podcast this week, and we're going to have a little discussion amongst ourselves. Uh, so hello, my fellow esteemed colleagues. How are you? Good. Good. Hanging yeah. in there. Hanging in there. How are you, Eliana? <laughs> hanging. I don't even know if I'm in there, but I'm just hanging. Yeah. <laughs> right. So what we wanted to talk about this week is obviously the importance of uh, having some, there are lots of conversations going on around the country, around the racial injustice injustices that we've seen and witnessed in this country, not just recently, but uh, over the long history of our country. This is an important conversation, not just for our country, but also for our churches. Because when we, when we talk about racial inequities, when we talk about uh, systems of white supremacy, we're also talking about systems that we engage in churches. As hard as that is to acknowledge, uh, we have to acknowledge that those systems are in place and have been in place uh, for centuries. So we've recently, as, as a presbytery, as a leadership team, the executive board got together and we worked with Tally over the past year on a diversity, equity, and inclusion assessment, which the staff had a chance to look at before and read and, and digest about a week or two before the executive board did. And it highlighted some areas that, that we've been talking about as a staff and that we're starting to talk about more as a presbytery. And there are three areas that uh, we want to start our conversation on today. And that is an area that we want to grow as a staff and as a presbytery is in our biblical and theological frameworks uh, for understanding race and culture and equity. Another area that we want to grow in is how we understand how change works in a system, not just how individuals change their mind, but how is it that systems change? Because if we're going to engage this work, we actually have to know where we are and if we're making progress. So if we don't have an idea of how systems change, then we might not know where we are. We might be uh, just fine with a few conversations together and think that we've kind of arrived or we had the difficult conversation and then we kind of move on to business as usual. And we all want to avoid that. The last area that was lifted up in the assessment was accountability. How does the leadership of our presbytery and how does our presbytery stay accountable to this work? And Tally uh, worked primarily on the assessment. And so I'm gonna kick it to him, but what I want to uh, lift up is a phrase that you used in the assessment that mm -hmm. uh, has really struck a chord, which, which you used uh, Eugene Peterson's phrase, a long obedience in the same direction, as to summarize this work. Can you tell us a little bit more about what that phrase means to you in this context? Some of your other thoughts about the assessment and how it's functioning so far in our presbytery? The assessment itself, right, is a kind of a a snapshot, not necessarily like a video of ongoing events, but rather a snapshot of the organization at a particular time that then helps us to project where the organization can go into the future. The reason I used that phrase from Eugene Peterson was because after, you know, we did several forums, we did uh, some email interviews, we 
talked to staff, we talked to board members, and we looked at some historical documents in the PCUSA and uh, local churches that had se several documents that they were using. And when we put that together, it seemed like that the system, the, the Presbyterian system, or what we call organizational culture, mm -hmm. was in a place where it's several key kind of turners or uh, cogs in the wheel, if you will, of the culture uh, were present but needed to be developed further. Uh, so people had an idea that we needed a theological and biblical framework, but they didn't know what it was, right? They didn't know how to articulate it. Uh, they didn't know how to build on that. Uh, we looked at it and said, okay, if we're going to develop these big pieces, what's one major characteristic of that work to build out those pieces? Persistence is the word we often come to use to dis describe this, that it requires a persistence that can only come when we are embedding the work into all that we do, as opposed to kind of a one-off approach. So persistence is this idea that systems change, but they only change with continued effort. They only change when the structures are pushed to change. And when individual structures change over time, then the system begins to change. And then regardless of whether I'm here or whether you're here or whether Eliane's here, the, the system itself has now experienced enough change within it that we don't need to be here. Sort of like what happens when something gets in motion and you don't have to do anything. It's just in perpetual motion, it just goes. And really what we're trying to look for is not the start and stops, but that consistent, persistent effort, which means we're not looking for huge leaps. We're looking for a consistent effort. This is a bad example, but it's, it is the case, right? That the, they always say the best way to lose weight is actually just daily. If you're looking for a big thing over a short period of time, you're probably going to gain that weight back down the line. But if you can consistently make small changes over time, you can eventually get there. And I think that persistence or long obedience in one direction is a way of helping us to not just think about it, but help us talk about it. So I, I was just thinking, um, at least in my lifetime, not that I was an adult then or anything, but at least in my lifetime, I have been alive during the 60s, whatever, Watts riots, the protests in Watts, the LA riots in the, in the uh, early 90s, and what we've experienced now. And I think one of the things that has been interesting to me is that every time we have a surge like this, where the system can no longer hold the center mm -hmm. and something causes to erupt it, our natural reaction as the church has been we need to fix it or find a magical salve in order to to take care of this so it's been a little bit like um, trying to put a band-aid on a hemorrhage whereas what what i'm hearing you tally and what you've been leading us as a presbytery to think of more is this ongoing persistent and consistent commitment to the work in every area of our life, individually and corporately, so that there is no add-on as now we're going to do anti-racism work, but that the theology and biblical understanding of why we do what we do is completely immersed in this work of equity and justice and anti-violence. Yeah. So I think that's, that's the difference that I see is that I'm starting to see some churches 
catch on to the necessity for this holistic engagement of their identity and purpose um, and even their relevance to our society and our culture is that if they don't infuse everything that they do with this notion, um, this one-off training or reading one book uh, as, a, as a community and try to do a Bible study around it, that's not enough. We're so far down the road. This behavior and this mentality has been so ingrained in our culture that it takes, I don't know how long yeah. <laughs> and how yeah. long to, to get us out of there. Yeah. And Eliana, this, the thing you bring up for me in that is how often in working, so along the continuum of where organizations are, congregations, nonprofits, whatever, there's a continuum. And many will start at that, like, oh my gosh, stuff is happening. Can you come do a speech or a talk? And then it's, hey, can we get a training? And then it's, what can we do on our own without you? Like book clubs and relationship building and uh, community engagement. And then it's, oh, you mean we can actually experience questions about our budget and our curriculum and our way of relating to our to issues in the world as a part of who we are. So it moves from what we do to who we are. It moves from doing things to being a body that does this work. And I think that's the difference for me. That ultimately changes also the way you're gonna talk about other issues such as immigration, the economy, homelessness. I just don't think you can separate that out and I think the church has tried over the years to make this as an add-on of engaging with civil rights as a separate thing mm -hmm. as to the central thing that from there, everything else kind of comes out of that. Right. Think about the church that is just like trying to figure out how do we do this amongst all the other things we're doing? So that is where you end up having to make decisions about, well, we're doing this, we're doing this, we're doing this, and now we're also going to do this. Like, no, actually, this is the framework for which you do all other things. And while others may go, well, that just seems like really like problematic. Well, think about it. If you are a Jesus, justice, and righteousness kissing each other kind of church, if that's who you are, then what you do comes out of that. What you do, your agenda gets set by who you are. Um, but if, we're, if it's an add-on, then it can be taken off. If it's, if it's incidental, it's not intentional. And, it, and it's not a way of life, and it's not about who you are. It then becomes an agenda-driven program. And one of the areas, in at least in the church systems, right, or you know, church uh, uh, programming and uh, work, is, is the staff meeting. So, so even at the staff yeah. meeting, then, what are the conversations that happen at a staff meeting? And how do we approach the Bible in a staff meeting? How do, what are the, what are the theological conversations we're having? If they are just, who's doing the devotion today? There's, there's no, like you, like you said, Tally, I mean, there's no disciplined approach to what we're doing. You know, speaking from other systems that I've been a part of, everything's an add-on. I mean, not just, not just uh, race and equity. I mean, just everything that we're doing feels kind of like an add-on. So one of the things that we've done very purposefully as a staff is that we read the assessment uh, individually and then we talked about it together uh, as a staff. And then we committed our staff time, the beginning of our staff time, not if we get around to it, but the beginning of our staff time to 
at least at the beginning stages, now we're having biblical and theological conversations around you know, race, equity, uh, uh, violence, uh, injustice, the thing, I mean, obviously the things that we're seeing happen and unfold before our eyes, obviously are things that we're talking about, but we are also talking about it uh, and thinking it through theologically and biblically. And I have to say that, you know, Tally, you do take the primary role in leading that, you know, you lead it with questions and it's, it's the questions and the opportunities for us to reflect in a disciplined way that I think are making a huge difference for me. And it's also helping me to understand the scriptures and understand the, my own frameworks sure. a lot differently. I, I just think that they've been transformative. And I, I offer that as a way in which other organizations can, other churches, this is a concrete way that you could, you could take some steps. You know, there's, there's plenty of books out there that could that could help what i what i appreciate that and something i've noticed in our, our staff meetings by doing this is it is at least for me it's forced me to confront and be honest about the values that we espouse to have as a presbytery and even as a staff and these conversations have really forced us to hone in on those values and to be able to justify them if we say something's important to us that's right and yet we don't put it it's not centered in our work, in our prayer, in our theological lens that we use to talk about everything in the life of a presbytery, then we don't really say that that's a value. So this is what you said, Scott, about by making this the thing, not an add-on, but the main thing, it's really made us have to walk the walk of saying, we've said this is important, um, so how's this going to inform everything we do? And I've caught myself several times when I'm in a different meeting with a different committee or a group and saying, ooh, that doesn't even resonate with what we just talked about in our, in our staff meeting or our executive board meeting that we said that's important. And here I've got another group that is completely missed the mark or not taking it into account. And it sure. holds me accountable to help redirect or at least lift it up for that group and say, no, this is what this is who we say we are. When we get back to the thing. And what, what do you guys think is that the what we hear from organizations when we're doing this work? I, and I, I don't think the presbytery is any different, but I, I think there are some ways in which work uh, together has allowed for us to move from thinking transactionally to transformationally, right? Um, and how have you all experienced that, that move from, uh, we're going to start with what we do and, and the exchange kind of approach to more transformational work. How have you experienced that difference? For me, the first thing that comes to mind is a less of an emphasis on an end product yeah. and more commitment to the process that we're in. So that there's this concerted effort as to hearing all the voices exploring all points of view, um, being able to tease out things in an unhurried manner. So I feel less like a consumer and more as an explorer. That's a great question, Tally, and a great point, Eliana. You know, for me, I, I think that the, the conversations we're having, I agree with everything that Eliana said, the, the conversations are, they just seem more human because we're being more honest. 
And when the conversations are more human, the work is more sure. human, right? And, and like Eliana said, we're not, the purpose of the staff meeting is not to get something done or to, to identify the end product at which point we can say, oh, good job. Hey, you did a great job there. The point is to have the conversation which actually gives the work meaning. And I think for me, it, it has, it, it slowed me down. In the past, I used to, I used to push through some of that because I thought the, the product was what we were getting at. But now I, I really question the product in, yeah. in, a, in a deeper way. It's, it's not like it maybe fundamentally changes, but the, but the way we get there changes. Exactly. So the, the, you two make a really good point that it's kind of at the, the, the ethos for me of even why I do this work. What, how I describe, Eliana, what you said is this feels more journey oriented, right? Process, it's about the journey. It's not about the destination, right? When people always ask, like, what does it look like when we have this anti-racist, you know, community, this beloved community, what does it look like? Well, can we get on the journey? Mm. <laughs> mm. Right? The journey is, is more important than the destination. So, and then, and then when, Scott, when you, you brought up, it feels more human, right? And, and this is really one of the things that I um, was grateful to learn early on, that the ethos of this work is really about being people on the journey, being human on the journey. And then I started to, um, thanks to a guy by the name of Dr. Ray Bakke, he, 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 he pulled out all of these ways in which the scripture says, and while Jesus was on the way, mm. right? And that they were originally called people of the way. Right. right. And it wasn't a bunch of ideas on the way. It wasn't a bunch of programs on the way. Right. It wasn't even trying to get to this place. It was, and on his way to Samaria, this happened. And on his way to this happened. In other words, I think transformation happens as we're people on the way. Fully human, fully embracing that humanity, and, and we're, we're on the way, then things start to happen. And it was very interesting. It's actually a book by uh, Stokely Carmichael. <laughs> One of the very few books he's written on, on Black liberation. He starts out the book by saying, I'm not telling you, telling the, telling you what anti-racist programs need to happen. He's saying, I'm giving you a framework for understanding who you need to be. So that in, because in every community, this will look different, right? That is a very decolonialized way, right? That's non-colonial thinking, <laughs> right? This, and, and it really helps me understand that the character of the work we're doing. And, and to me, that's just as important as Eliani said, the values, right? The character of, the, of what we're doing is as important as the work we're doing. I think what I love about that imagery that you give, Tally, of the, the journey is that for me, it appeals to the intercultural nature of who we really are called to be because in most cultures there there is not a product associated value but more of the the journey together the accompaniment as as we've talked so much that's um, right in colombia this ability to see ourselves as journeying together as being sojourners also forces us to see who are we journeying with and who is not present on our journey and what stops do we make along the way? Um, and who do we stop for? So it, it just, it calls us, Scott, as you said, to slow down, which I think is a good thing for our white siblings. And 
I think it also invites us to not just slow down, but also pause to look around and see, if I run ahead and left people behind, am I lagging behind and left the group, let the group go on by themselves into the wilderness? And who, how may I be a part of this group of sojourners that are doing this work together? Yeah. Well, I, go ahead, Scott. I was just going to say, it reminds, I mean, I've, I've shared this passage before, uh, but we use it at transitional ministry uh, workshops because it, it highlights this process, right? But, but to apply the process also to this work is, is important, that, that those two on the road to Emmaus had their, had their thoughts and they were on their path and, and Jesus was there with them, asked some questions and let them, let them share what they saw, right? in their own trouble and in their own, you know, inarticulate ways of, of sharing what happened in Jerusalem. And there, there, there was some learning that happened too, right? I mean, they did, they got, they learned some things. Jesus taught them some things. And it was in that process where, where their hearts changed, right? And they wanted more of that because it, it was a journey. It wasn't the destination uh, you know, they never arrived. No, that's exactly right. People, people will go, so how long do we have to do this? Or they'll ask, um, and I, I um, when I didn't have this understanding um, and, and, and we're working with organizations, it was really, I, I was like um, really stupefied. Like, uh-oh, what, what answer do I give? Mm. Like, how long, how, long, how long will we do this, right? Because we're looking at it as a destination to be arrived at a particular time. Uh, and instead, um, looking at this from a different perspective, it's, it is the journey that we are consistently on that we hopefully never want to arrive, right? We're always becoming, we're always becoming. Um, and in that way, it really does free us to make mistakes, oh, yeah. right? It frees us to go, oh, we got that wrong, right? Um, and we realize that the impact that we have on people when those mistakes are made, but we also understand that um, being on the journey, that we give people the benefit of the doubt to make those mistakes and to continue to walk on the journey. Don't get off, right? Stay on. And in times like this that we're in right now, it is so easy to get off the, the road. It is so easy, right? Oh, forget this. I'm, in fact, as a Black man, like sometimes I wake up in the morning still stuck in the house like we are, and I go, yeah, I, I just want to be normal. For I like, what does that mean for me? Like, I don't want to engage all the issues of race today. I don't want to, I don't want to watch it on television. I don't want to, I want to completely get off the road. Um, that's, the, that's the thing that, that we're called to do, whether it's the Jericho Road, the, Samer, the, the, the uh, road to, to Samaria, no matter what road we're on in scripture, right? The Emmaus Road, we're called to stay on the road. It makes me wonder um, how powerful this framework and this just way of being would be for our congregational sessions. If sessions, I mean, we've all been to session meetings, how empowering and how um, freeing it would be for our sessions and churches to recognize that they are on, on a road together, a journey of transformation, of liberation, um, that they're going to make mistakes, um, that they're going to pick up some people on the way to the on their journey, they're going to lose some people on the way to the journey, um, and yet this is what they've been called to do. I think that could be a really powerful testimony for congregational vitality and mm. a sense of meaning and identity. 
I think so. Yeah, Scott, you've got way more experience working with sessions than I do. What do you think? Well, I mean, I, absolutely. The types of, of conversations that we are trying to foster uh, as a staff and within our presbytery are the kind of transformative conversations that that allow for God to work in new ways that we've always said we wanted. We've always said we wanted, and we try all these kind of programmatic ways of getting there. You know, we try to redefine our mission statement. You know, we try to set aside a, a retreat where we do some strategic planning. You know, not that those things aren't somewhat helpful. Are we trying to, as disciples, are we trying to be a a human neighbor who, you know, we're broken as well and recognizing our weaknesses, but also we're, we're, we're not afraid to learn how to be better neighbors and how to be a better witness uh, in our communities and to witness with our communities and not have to lead. I, I completely agree. Yeah, Eliana, I think you make a really good point there. And obviously with all your experience that you bring to the table, it, it doesn't surprise me that you would be able to kind of have that insight at the level of sessions. And, and, I, and I think if we could, of course, every session in every church has their own story. Mm-hmm. And so we're not prescribing something as much as we are describing something, right? We're trying to give this kind of description that helps people think about it like we have been thinking about it. And they may have different thoughts about it. It's perfectly fine, right? Perfectly fine for them to have their own kind of situated understanding of that. Um, but the idea of the framework is still the same. I think that would also help alleviate this sense that I, I find among a lot of good church folk, leaders who are looking up all of a sudden now going, oh my gosh, I've never said anything either from the pulpit or from other places of power. I need to engage in this issue. How do I do it? If this has been part of the ongoing journey, there is no sense of, oh, I didn't, I didn't do this. That's okay. You didn't do it back there because you were on the journey and that's not the place where you were ready or were able to say something or do something, but you've been on the journey. And so um, I think the invitation to use this framework also allows people to realize that this is not an overnight thing. This is not a 90 minute workshop you go to and suddenly you know how to deconstruct white privilege and white supremacy and and all that, but that this is an ongoing systems change and an internal soul change that we all are undergoing constantly. Amen. And one need not like prepare a statement for an event that was like, well, what do we say and how do we say it? Because if you've been on the journey and, and not getting off that journey, but staying on that road and you have embedded this into your meetings and you have embedded this and made it a part of your everyday. Then the questions on everything from what do we say and how do we say it will go will become very much a part of your life. Like because you're you're realizing that this is not about a media driven thing. These things are happening all the time. Injustice is all around us, mm-hmm. and and we're just having the privilege not to see it. We can turn the channel. And I think there's going to be a number of uh, sessions and pastors for whom the, the biblical theological work will be really good grounding work for a good while. We've lived with these compartmentalized ideas, you know, that there's the scriptures and there's salvation, and then there's like social gospel, that, that this other thing that, that Christians do because we, you know, we feel like we should, but to bring together 
the the talking about the gospel and the living of the gospel and to do and to have those conversations at session so that sessions when those times come where there are some on session who feel like we need to do something that these sessions will have had a chance to talk these things through so that they're better prepared for that moment yeah right yeah and there's a willingness to say we are on this journey are we ready like yes. are we ready to say something yes oh, i totally agree here's a really bad example of and i know i know we're we're bringing this to a close and we we could talk about this now for for a long time but in preparing an institution for a, a catastrophe they don't wait until the catastrophe gets there right they do drills all along the way they have meetings they're planning they're preparing because they know it's going to happen well we live in a broken society a, a society that's racially violent we know something's going to happen we should be planning and preparing ourselves on a regular basis and bringing our resources together to figure out how to be better how to be prepared and then how to respond well maybe we'll leave it there for now at least for this podcast we'll obviously pick this up again but want to thank you both for being such amazing wonderful colleagues for also being my teachers and being patient with me as well so okay. thank you okay. till next time thanks